CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach that takes on each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills to provide creative solutions for their clients. Based right here in Western New York, CTBK is a champion for your business and our community. Additionally, CTBK goes beyond tax and attest services by offering a wide array of consulting and outsourced solutions tailored to meet the unique needs of your business, allowing you to focus on your operational and long-term strategic goals. Whether you're a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, the team at CTBK is determined to help you succeed. Visit ctbk.com or call 716-630-2400, 716-630-2400 to learn how CTBK's one-team approach can work for you. Welcome to a Bills bye week and a Sabres out west on the road week here on Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic here with Jonah Bronstein of the New Bronstein Times, uh, recently acquired uh, by WIVB Channel 4. Um, we have a lot to talk about, um, and I'm not really sure where to start. Um, I'll just kind of set the table here. Of course, the Sabres are three and one. Uh, and the one loss against a really good Florida team in which the Sabres uh, still scored three goals. They have not scored any fewer than three goals. In fact, four, three, four, six in their first four games. Uh, another really impressive performance on the road last night at Calgary, a 6-3 victory in the Saddle Dome. Uh, we have Bill's bye week. Everybody's decompressing, I think, um, still catching their breath from the game in Arrowhead Stadium in which uh, the Bills uh, looked every bit the Super Bowl contender and looking forward to a game that was uh, sexy when the schedule came out, maybe not so much anymore against the Green Bay Packers on Sunday night football, but it is still going to be Josh Allen versus Aaron Rodgers. Uh, we're going to learn a little bit more about the Packers this week as they try to get on track against Washington and they should be able to dominate Washington uh, but Green Bay, only 12 touchdowns so far. Uh, do we want to talk about the Christian McCaffrey trade? A lot of Bills fans were excited about that possibility. I have some information on that, uh, that it really wasn't going to happen. And, uh, of course, uh, UB against Toledo in Amherst uh, tomorrow. Uh, the two winningest teams in the Mid-American Conference since 2017 and a big matchup uh, for the records or for the standings uh, for both of those teams this year. Uh, Jonah, do you have a preference on where you start? No preference at all. Uh, I suppose we should start with the team that's not playing this week because that's where the elite agenda is. Um, I would say <laughs> I, am elite not, agenda. I am not decompressing because there is so much sports going on, even from the national major league perspective. We had a sports equinox last night where there was a MLB game, an NFL game, an NBA game, and an NHL game all going on at the same time. Uh, high school football is entering the playoffs. Other high school sports are in the playoffs. Uh, college football is in full swing. College basketball is soon to start. The Sabres and the NHL season and the NBA seasons are getting started. It's the busiest time of the sports year. The NFL is not taking a week off, but the Bills and many of the fans and many of the fans in the media are taking this as a vacation week because, you know, if the Bills aren't playing, there's really nothing else to pay attention to. All right, so let's stay on the Bills just so we can move it out of the way. 
We can talk about that and get it off the plate. Uh, Christian McCaffrey traded last night to the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, a lot of Bills fans, uh, similar to Odell Beckham Jr., have just assumed uh, that Brandon Bean is just going to go out and scoop every interesting player that's available out there. Uh, but uh, Christian McCaffrey, uh, while the Bills were interested in him uh, and did reach out uh, to the Carolina Panthers on Friday, as I've been told, uh, and I'm talking about last week, we we're recording this on Friday also, so I don't want you to think that it happened Friday, October 21st, but uh, last Friday, uh, the Bills reached out to the Panthers to kick the proverbial tires, learned what the Panthers were asking, thought that that was way too rich for their blood, and there was a hope that the Panthers' offer would drop, and it didn't. And part of the reason, because San Francisco and the L.A. Rams were both very interested uh, in this, and, and that wasn't necessarily a bidding war, uh, because the Panthers didn't get what they were asking for. Um, but it's, um, it was enough to not really drop the price for the Bills. Uh, there was also rumors flying around that uh, McCaffrey wouldn't play if he were still a Panther because, well, a couple of things. Number one, he was upset about being in limbo, but also because um, – the Panthers might not want to damage their trade asset because he was about to get dealt. You don't want him to get injured in what would be a meaningless Panthers game uh, for, for Christian McCaffrey. So anyway, Jonah, I know that uh, you, you don't really, well, don't let me, don't let me assume. What are your thoughts on the bills need for a running back in the first place? Well, first I want to say as somebody who's traded for Christian McCaffrey two years in a row in fantasy football, and that did not work out. I, applaud the bills for avoiding this situation. You know, I did not think I'm a little surprised to hear you report that they did kick the tires on Christian McCaffrey, though. I guess if you're doing your due diligence, you do find out what the asking price is for any player that might be available for trade and consider whether it makes sense to upgrade the roster. But even though running back has maybe been a weak point for the bills, although they're running the ball very well the last two weeks, Devin Singletary in particular, I just think the bills have the best roster in the NFL and no need to make a big splash move that could disrupt chemistry, continuity in the way that what the Bills have going. They've invested not first round draft picks, but high draft picks and three running backs that are currently on the roster. Maybe Zach Moss is on his way out or at least on his way out of being in the active lineup as he was in the previous game against the Chiefs. But I just didn't think it made a lot of Didn't even of dress for the, for the right. record. Didn't even dress for that game. He was a healthy scratch. Yeah. So but I just don't think the Bills are in a position to make a wild move for a prominent player, really just to kind of win the press conference and gain headlines. I don't know if it makes their offense that much better, as talented as he is. Um, and you can extend that to Saquon Barkley and Odell Beckham Jr. I just don't think the Bills There are is, just to, to use a phrase here and, and to underscore what you're saying there, the way I would say it is diminishing returns. And as great as Christian McCaffrey is, you see the explosive numbers that he – produces for the Carolina Panthers offense it's not as though you're going to take that production and just plug it into the bills it's the you know the metaphor there's only so many footballs to go around number one but how much better is he going to make one of the best offenses in the NFL it's not as though it's going to turn into Christian McCaffrey or uh, Buffalo Bills plus 
it's going, you know, plus McCaffrey and, and you have an equation, you know, there is, there are only so many points you can score in a football game and so many possessions that you have and so many snaps that your offense can take. And from the long-term planning aspect, like the bills are in a all in position to win the Super Bowl this year and be as good as they can be and have as good of a roster as possible. Uh, that's why they signed Von Miller and some of the other moves that they've made, but they are getting close up to the cap and have players like Tremaine Edmonds that need to be resigned, or you would hope they are trying to resign them and have to make some decisions going forward about how many good veteran players they can pay. And even though the way Christian McCaffrey's contract is structured, it wouldn't have been much of a cap hit to acquire him for this season. It would be a lot of money, maybe something like $15 million to keep him on the roster next year and trading a second, third, fourth, fifth round future pitch which I think is what the San Francisco 49ers did probably wouldn't be wise for the bills because they're entering a phase in this franchise where they're now paying a lot of players, big contracts, and they need draft picks to replenish the roster with young, cheap rookie contracts. They're not really in a big spender position going forward, even though they've been able to do that up until this point with a lot of different players. San Francisco gave up, uh, a second, third, and fourth round draft pick in 2023, so that's next year. And then in two years, another fifth round pick. So a total of four picks from San Francisco to Carolina for Christian McCaffrey. And that is an excellent point, Jonah. Uh, the need for young, cheap labor on a team that has so many stars and big-time contracts that need to be paid out. You have to have those players to come up and fill in those spots uh, the DeMar Hamlins, um, you know, the, the, you know, Christian Benford's, you know, you need those picks to hit uh, and, or at least, and sometimes to make sure that you get picks that hit, you need a bunch of them uh, because you can't just count on nailing every one of your four picks that you have every year. Or if you start getting into a situation where you're trading for Christian McCaffrey's, et cetera, et cetera, that you're going to, you know, you're going to, uh, your allotment of picks is going to dwindle and you have to nail each and every one of them. Um, while we're on the topic of acquiring name players, let me just, uh, let's just talk real quick about Odell Beckham Jr. I get a lot of uh, questions on social media, people sending DMs, uh, the mailbag uh, comes uh, back uh, early next week. The satchel uh, is going to be uh, at the athletic uh, Monday, Tuesday, somewhere in that range. I'm getting a lot of Odell Beckham Jr. questions. And look, I know he's an attractive name. I know that everybody recalls the one-handed catch uh, that he made, uh, you know, the highlight reel stuff, winning a Super Bowl with the Rams last year, although he was hurt in that game. Look, and I also am very well aware that Von Miller is vocal and practically guaranteeing that Odell Beckham Jr. comes to the Buffalo Bills. Um, and I've said this in a report that I wrote on a roundup uh, that we did at The Athletic regarding possible Odell Beckham Jr. destinations. The Bills don't have an iron in that fire yet. Maybe they will at some point. Uh, but this is all smoke, and it's mostly coming from Von Miller and Odell Beckham Jr. himself. Some teammates, you know, guys, they're busting balls. They're saying things for fun. They're they're being dudes who are excited and hopefully they get to play with each other. But that doesn't mean that Von Miller is driving the bus or is going to force Brandon Bean's hand. Odell Beckham Jr. isn't well enough for a tryout yet. He's not supposed to be ready to play until December. And 
he's going to need to go through tryouts to pass a physical to do all these things. He hasn't even been able to do that yet. So to be interested or to have said, Odell, once you're cleared, we're signing you. It's folly. And it's, it's silly to think. And I know that there are a lot of Bills fans out there that want to believe that because Von Miller is saying it's so, but it's not realistic yet. Now, maybe he gets better and has a workout and dazzles. Okay, let's even stop right there. Do the Bills need a receiver? Well, no, I don't. And they definitely don't need Odell Beckham Jr. right now. Maybe if there's an injury to Stephon Diggs or Gabe Davis and they have a hole to fill and he's healthy later in the season. Cause I'm not so sure he's really going to be a hundred percent, you know, what that timetable is going to be. But Odell Beckham jr. Is a voluminous personality, a very talented player who's going to want a high amount of targets. And I just don't think he fits in as the fourth or fifth receiver on this team. If you're putting together a fantasy roster or a Madden franchise, maybe it makes sense to have, all of the great receivers on one team, but I don't see the right role for him right now, unless there's injuries and the bills really need to add talent at that position, because right now, Josh Allen is on pace to set an NFL record for passing yards and the offense looks pretty good. I don't really think you need to make a big splash move, whether it's a running back or a wide receiver. And the only justification I could see for going after Odell Beckham Jr. is to keep him from signing with the Kansas City Chiefs or another team that you might have to play against in the playoffs. Yeah, the thing about that theory also is if he's not good enough to pass your tryout or your physical, uh, then so what if he ends up with a different team? Now, Odell Beckham Jr. did have really good playoff numbers last year. Four games, including his partial Super Bowl. 21 catches for 288 yards and two touchdowns. Now that's really good. But he also played 14 regular season games last year, six with the Browns, eight with the Rams, 537 yards. Yes, five touchdowns. But this is an interesting number to me. 82 targets, 44 receptions. So he was catching about half the passes thrown his way. Again, that's a guy that maybe you're tempted to force the ball to. The Rams had a pretty good offense, obviously good enough to win the Super Bowl. Uh, they were pretty good, and they acquired uh, Odell Beckham, who didn't necessarily spike for them. Yes, five touchdowns in eight games, but also 48 targets, 27 catches, 305 yards. So there's a factor there. Uh, you put him on the field with Cooper Cup, uh, but – the Rams don't have a Stephon Diggs, Gabriel Davis tandem. Uh, and to make Odell Beckham your third receiver while he's still working his way back from a reconstructed knee at 30, he turns 30 in a couple of weeks. Uh, just way too many question marks for me. Uh, if he wants to sign for the league minimum or something like that, then okay, I guess take a flyer and hope that uh, he rounds into form in January. Uh, and you have an extra guy uh, to, for Josh Allen to throw the ball to. But to get him worked into a system, um, to get him worked into a game plan, and that is, seems to be working pretty friggin' well uh, without him, um, yes, and granted, uh, Isaiah McKenzie not looking all that great in Kansas City, but Odell Beckham's not going to come in and play the Isaiah McKenzie role and coming out of the slot and uh, doing all those types of things. So, anyways, I, I just – I know that it's, it's a shiny object and it gets people excited, especially with Brandon Bean as the general manager, because these deals are now possible. 
you know, we were talking back in the Buddy Nicks era, being, being stunned that uh, they were able to get Sean Merriman off waivers. Like that got people excited. A broken down Sean Merriman. Yes, let's stash him on our roster. Hope he resigns. And, um, and then uh, he'll come back and miraculously be the guy he was five years ago before PEDs and blown out uh, ligaments. Um, or the Mario Williams trade or uh, signing, I should say, that really stunned everyone. You know, the Bills make big deals now. So when these guys are available, it's, it, it does tease Bills fans a little bit. They, they seem to assume that this guy's headed to one Bills drive. And um, anyways, not, yeah. not going to happen with Christian McCaffrey, probably not going to happen with Odell Beckham Jr. And it's a bit of a Bills fan fantasy who can remember that the Bills drafted Sammy Watkins instead of Odell Beckham Jr. and maybe uh, have some unresolved lawning for the Bills to have made a different decision there and had Odell Beckham Jr. in the beginning of his career when he was, I don't know if he was a better player, but he was, you know, a better point in time to have him on the roster than to have him right now on the downside of his career. And as you mentioned, he's not going to fill the exact same role that Isaiah McKenzie fills. And if he's the fourth or the fifth receiver, then he needs to have a special teams role. I don't see that happening. I just don't see the fit unless Stefan Diggs were to get injured and be out for the season. And you really needed to fill that role with a player like Odell Beckham Jr. And he's still available. And I think the team that eventually signs Odell Beckham Jr. will be a team that has a glaring hole at the outside receiver position and needs to put him in there to hopefully salvage their season. And therefore, probably overpay. Uh, because you're desperate. But yeah, significant injuries change all of that from the Bills uh, standpoint, for sure. Uh, Sammy Watkins, by the way, returning to Orchard Park with the Green Bay Packers. Uh, He's coming back from his injury, uh, but we can't guarantee that he's not going to suffer another one between now and October 30th. But at least in pencil right now, you can circle the big Sammy Watkins uh, revenge game, October 30 uh, at Highmark Stadium. Um, And also the return of Buffalo native Isaiah McKenzie, or not, not Isaiah McKenzie, Isaiah McDuffie, linebacker right. for the Green Bay Packers, who played here in a preseason game last year, but this would be the first time he's played a regular season game in Buffalo with the Packers. His high school alma mater, Jonah? Bennett High School, where his father, Steve McDuffie, is the coach. And let's talk about that. Uh, that is an interesting story. We will get to the Sabres, and we're going to uh, talk about UB football against Toledo also, so don't go anywhere. But um, Bennett High School, an intriguing story for me. I have had my very cursory, I would say, cursory introductions to the Section 6 folks, and uh, they have hardline stances on all kinds of things. But I guess give us the thumbnail overview as to what has happened with the Bennett High School football team, one of the best teams in the area for sure, maybe one of the best teams in the state. Uh, and now all of a sudden they got a whole slew of losses on their record. Yes, Bennett was the top-ranked local team. They were 4-2 and two with two losses to out-of-state teams and unbeaten against local competition. And in the Class AA division, they had beaten Lancaster, which was the next best team in Class AA. St. Francis, a private school, might also be the best team in Western New York, but it was one of those two teams. They were the highest-ranked team locally in the state rankings. They were number 10 statewide in class double a now they're not even an honorable mention because they've had to forfeit all of their games that they played against section six opponents it's actually i think been erroneously reported that they forfeited six games 
when in fact they forfeited four games against Section 6 opponents, and then there were two games that they happened to lose against non-league teams from outside the area. And if you look at the Section 6 site, those are still regarded as losses by the score that they lost by. But anyways, to get back to the thread, they Bennett had a player on the team who's a freshman who played JV football for Sweet Home last year as an eighth grader. Now he's a City of Buffalo resident attending Bennett High School, Lewis J. Bennett High School, and he's on the football team. He had played in the first six Oh, games. Lewis J. Bennett. Uh, yes. Uh, well, that's kind of important to note because the Bennett is a combined team with a lot of different schools. And I think that's a little bit of why somebody decided to look very carefully at the roster and figure out if there might be something against the rules regarding their roster, because there is some uh, jealousy and consternation over the fact that Bennett has become a bit of a city all-star team and that they have a large pool of players from the very, very large Buffalo public schools. Gotcha. From. And what was learned was that this player that, the Buffalo Public Schools did not file the necessary transfer paperwork for this student athlete because they were under the assumption that being that he was a freshman who was an eighth grader last year, that that was not a transfer, that they didn't need to file the requisite transfer paperwork. And Section 6, and really this is a state rule, New York State Public High School Athletic Association, that Section 6 is enforcing. Uh, and it seems to be based on my limited knowledge, but at least I researched the F out of it uh, w when I did do my story involving Section 6, is that it's up to the discretion of the people involved in a lot of these cases. I think the discretion comes in to look away and maybe not uh, apply the rule, but the rule is pretty black and white and cut and dry that this is would be the consequences, that this – he was not eligible to play in these six games that he did play in. And because Bennett played these games and it was learned after the fact that he was an ineligible player, that they, at least the games against local section six. Now I know we need to be careful because it's a minor and you don't want to get this kid, people pissed off at this kid and it wasn't his fault. So he doesn't get named generally in journalistic circles, but how much of a contributor was this player as a freshman? He's a good player. Um, I'm trying to explain this without maybe cluing into who it is. Well, how about this? I'll ask you some generic questions. A starter? A starter. And uh, will on two-way starter or one-way starter? A starter on defense. I do believe he starts on offense, although his okay. productivity on offense isn't all that high from the stat sheets. Um, gotcha. I'll say this. and That's an look, important player. People also in the high school football community know who this is. I know who this is. Um, sure. I'm not so sure. I understand why Bennett's protecting his identity. I'm not so sure it needs to be a big secret because this player did not um, do anything wrong. And maybe if he would like to come out and talk about how he's been treated unfairly, I don't know if it's something where we need to totally protect his identity, but we'll, we'll, we'll do that for now. Um, I will say this. He is being recruited by UB and other schools. He is almost certainly going to be a division one player unless something goes south. Okay. And he's only a freshman. And he's only a freshman. And there was a reason why he played JV for Sweet Home last year as an eighth grader. He was good enough to be an eighth grader playing on the JV. And now he's a ninth grader playing on the varsity on one of the most talented uh, rosters in all of the state, really. He's an excellent player. And if he wasn't a good player, uh, this might not have been much of an issue. But the real issue is it's not about him and the player. And this is, uh, I want to make a point about this after. 
this is about the Buffalo public schools do not color inside the lines and follow all the rules and regulations. And some of these, this is a clerical error and they, they make clerical errors and they don't uh, do things from an administration standpoint as well as the rest of section six would like them to do. And that's where all of these issues have stemmed from, or many of these issues have stemmed from. This is why four years ago or three years ago, whenever it was, Section 6 tried to rearrange the league so that the Buffalo Public Schools would be their own football league and teams in Section 6 would not have to play them in the regular season. It's not because they didn't want to play against these players and these coaches and these teams so much. It's because they didn't want to have to be in business with Buffalo Public Schools Athletic Department and some of the uh, understaffing and, in their view, inadequacies of that administration office. And this is another example of you know, Bennett not, or Buffalo Public Schools not following all the rules and regulations that Section 6 would like them to do. And now they're getting punished for that. But what Bennett and the Buffalo Public Schools are doing is, it's been called an appeal, but it's really, I think, more of a proposed rule change that if something like this happens again, that the rule would not be to punish the team and the players involved with uh, forfeiting all of the games, that it would be some sort of sanction on the school and the administration and the athletic directors for not doing uh, their jobs properly. And I think that is more fair. I don't think uh, an administration not filing the paperwork because they didn't know the rule should result in a team and all of these student athletes having to forfeit the games that they won. I think that seems to be punishing people who had nothing to do with the air and that there maybe is another way to enforce this rule. But well, how about this? McDuffie, the coach, was suspended for a game, which is, again, I've covered high school sports everywhere but Buffalo. Every stop I've ever had in my journalistic career, I started off as a high school's reporter, whether it be in Ohio, in Boston, in Las Vegas. Um, well, I guess when I was at the Palm Beach Post, I only covered the NFL, and I didn't cover high schools at ESPN or the Athletic. Okay, so I'm li I've lied. But anyways, up until Buffalo, I'd always covered high schools. I'd never heard of a coach being suspended for a game. And that, so that just was a bit of a, that was jarring to me. Um, is that common? Well, that's in the rule. That's an automatic. Okay. That's part of the rule. Yeah. So what, but I, to what you're, what you're saying, rather than punish all the other kids on the roster, the other 35 kids or however many is on Bennett's roster. What about making the coach, you know, like miss three games or something like that? I'll go, I guess then you can, the, you could say that that punishes the kids too, to lose their coach for three games. Well, but I, I don't think, know. Is there an alternative? I think the one game suspension for the coach is probably fair because I do think it's the coach's responsibility to know the new players on his team and where they played last year and know the rules and know the requisite paperwork that needs to be filed to have this player be eligible. I think that's the responsibility of the coach and the athletic director, but the coach knows his football team and his football players uh, maybe a little bit better than the athletic director would, especially this athletic director in Buffalo Public Schools, Michael House, is the assistant superintendent for athletics. So I believe he has other responsibilities. And even if he doesn't, he has to be the athletic director for 18 different schools in the largest public school district in Western New York by leaps and bounds. But isn't Michael House, if I remember correctly, isn't he on the uh, the advisory board or something for Section 6? Doesn't he have a, a... He is the Buffalo Public Schools Division uh, representative right? in some way. So yes, he is. Well, he, he should, I, I think he should know the rule. Um, but I do think it's maybe, you know, I didn't know the rule. 
I, I didn't, when I first saw this reported, I was confused why this player was ineligible. Didn't really understand because, you know, it, it, at first it seemed like this player shouldn't have been able to play, but that really wasn't the case. It was just that the paperwork wasn't filed in due time and that that would make him ineligible because on paper he wasn't made to be eligible by filing the transfer paperwork. But there's no reason why this player who played at Sweet Home JV last year shouldn't be playing for Bennett High School this year. It's just that they should have done the procedural, procedural things correctly, and they did not. Now, some of the reaction to it, I think, has been a little bit overheated in the sense that Bennett's still going to make the playoffs. They're still going to have an opportunity to win the Section 6 championship and uh, compete for a state championship. They were in the state championship game a year ago, and this team's probably better than that team. Steve McDuffie was suspended for one game, and now he's back on the sidelines. The player in question was not Who able to Who do they play this weekend, Jonah? They play Hutch Tech who's the worst team in probably all right. So that's a win probably. Oh, and I interrupted you saying the player who was, uh, who was affected, he is going to be able to play the rest of the year, right? He's eligible to play. And and I respect that he does play on Saturday in the regular season finale and then through the playoffs. So going forward, at least might get a game ball. You would assume. Yeah. might be the hero of the game or might be a player that this team rallies around. I mean, this could be something that galvanizes the team and, and fuels their playoff run. If they do win a state championship, they can maybe look back at this, you know, the world was against us situation as something that pulled them together. Now they might be good enough to win a state championship, whether this happened to them or not. It's going to look funny if they're playing in the state championship game with a five and six record or whatever it is. But, and I don't really believe that, you know, if I was setting all the rules, this is the same thing with the Kiara Klein case last year. If I was setting the rules, I would say, let the kids play. You're looking at colleges right now that freely let players transfer from one school to the other. And Section 6 in New York State Public High School Athletic Association is still sticking to some of these antiquated rules about players transferring. But there's a lot of players transferring from one school to the other. If you do the paperwork right, if you falsify the paperwork right, because I think that happens sometimes when student athletes are not really living in the district that they play for, then everybody's eligible. So it's really an issue of, it's athletic directors and administrators at odds with each other over who's uh, following the rules and skirting the rules and who's doing things properly and who's not. And it's really not about the kids and the student athletes and the student athlete experience. I think all of the, the default position should be let the kids play. And when these things happen that get in the way of that, I don't agree with that. But as the way the rule was written, Bennett did not follow the rule. And these are the, consequences that are on paper and I think everything was followed according to the letter of the law if not maybe the spirit of the law yeah the Kiara Klein story for those who aren't familiar and I'll just briefly mention that uh, that's the story that I've been vaguely referencing with the uh, section six and and my uh, interactions uh, with with that governing body Uh, it was uh, in the spring of 2021 I wrote a story for the athletic about Kiara Klein who uh, is uh, a star um, volleyball, or I'm, I'm sorry, um, a soccer and basketball player. She ended up playing volleyball because that's the only sport she was eligible for. Uh, Section 6 ruled that uh, being sexually assaulted wasn't a hardship enough for her to transfer away during the pandemic, so that way she could play sports in a different state. And uh, I know that there's some other nuance there. Check out the story, but in general, 
it was ruling that or determining that being sexually assaulted isn't a hardship. Um, in, in all of these issues, it's adults having issues with each other and sniping with each other and backbiting each other. And it's not really about the kids and the athletes and uh, high school sports and the principles that it should be about. One other quick point I want to make on Bennett, Jerry Sullivan wrote a really nice uh, feature column for WIVB.com that published yesterday pointing out uh, the historical parallels that this happened in 1995 with a basketball player that transferred into Bennett from Turner Carroll. He played the whole season and then right before the sectionals, it was discovered that he shouldn't have been eligible to play in the season. They had to forfeit all the games and not play the playoff games. And there's been a pattern in recent years where a couple of years ago, Bennett was not allowed to play in the playoffs because of their COVID outbreak. Their season ended pretty abruptly. Then last year, they had to play two state playoff games in a span of five days because it was ruled the opposite way with the COVID outbreak for a Rochester team that they were supposed to play against was given extra time to come out of their pause and play that playoff game. The whole thing with the city schools that were that section six had realigned the divisions to not have the Buffalo public schools in the same regular season football divisions. So there's been a pattern of some would say discrimination against Bennett and Buffalo public schools over the years. And that's why the Buffalo public schools filed a motion to make a human rights complaint to the state human rights organization. Um, I don't know how far that's going to go, but that goes to show how aggrieved the people in Buffalo public schools and in the city of Buffalo and in the Bennett community feel about this issue. Yeah. And there are all kinds of different ways that you can take a look at this. Uh, and like you say, that sounds like it's escalating the situation, maybe unnecessarily, but regarding that Kiara Klein case, uh, there were people I spoke with that wanted to make it a title nine case. So you can make a federal case out of these types of things. Um, Jonah, let's... One, can I make a one last point? Yeah. Section six is following the rule. I don't have much criticism for how they're applying the rules that are on the book and what they're doing here. Section six, as was the case in the story you reported about Kira Klein and in many other stories that have come about in the last few years, does not do, I think, a public service by uh, no commenting everybody, by not speaking publicly when they do put out statements. It's basically saying it's our policy to not comment on any of this. If they're going to make these rules and they're gonna govern the high school sports landscape around here, they owe it to the public to be more transparent and to, uh, they owe it to the media to tell us their side of the story and by extension, owe it to the public to explain why these rules exist and why they're being enforced that way. Yeah, what measure, what's, what's the standard to meet on some of these things? And that's one of the questions I asked and as blunt and maybe as crass as it may, this question may sound, one of the questions I wanted to ask that they refused to answer was if sexual assault isn't a hardship, then what is? Like, what, so it says in the rules, uh, it, with the exception of a hardship. Well, what's a hardship? They don't ever define it. So it becomes a very subjective uh, application of the rules. Is having, is your parent being murdered a hardship? Um, is having an abortion a hardship? Uh, is um, having leukemia a hardship? Well, what is it? So, and I know that, again, that sounds very, uh, you know, it's cold to ask in those terms, but when you've been, a, a sexual assault has been adjudicated uh, against you. This wasn't a rumor. It was caught on video camera and adjudicated through the courts. Um, 
And the kid, by the way, was able to transfer to a private school and play varsity hockey, by the way, because that's not subject to section six, or probably even if he'd gone to a public school, still would have been the same. But anyways, now I'm getting a little bit too wound up about my story. No, you're but, right. Yeah, but, I think and it's not just Section six. I know that all my yeah, generally, when it comes to high school governing bodies, they are political. Uh, they know where all the different parents, they're sick of some of these parents uh, and families that they have to deal with on a regular basis. They think they're skirting the rules. They're not going to let them get by on their watch. And it turns into gong show in many you, cases. You can't be the organizing body of public school sports and do all your business behind closed doors and right. cloak everything and not explain your decisions and your rulings and why your rules exist. And if the administrators in section six are not skilled enough to speak for themselves publicly, then have a communications director that can come out and explain these things. Or we just assume that you are, uh, you know, political backfighting. And the reason you're not talking publicly is because you don't have a leg to stand on. And you or you're embarrassed. Talk. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. what it looks like. Jonah, let's take a quick break here. We're going to come back. We're going to talk Sabres. We're going to talk UB football uh, and probably two or three other things that pop into our head. But uh, we're going to come right back here on Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK CPAs and Business Consultants. CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara communities through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2022 to help keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400 and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you. Welcome back to Tim Graham and friends. Um, went and got a coffee during that uh, break. And I noticed that my son has, I have not seen my son play video games all week. I think there might be something wrong with him. Hmm. I mean, it, that's kind of what all, that's all he does. And I just realized, well, I, maybe it's because there's so much sports on. And sometimes in the afternoon too with baseball. But I'm, I need to maybe check his temperature and um, get him into the urgent care. What video games does he like to play? Oh, it's um, mostly sports. I, you know, I can catch him. I want to say catch him like I'm, you know, like I need to throw open the door and, you know, see what he's up to. Um, he play, he'll play a little of everything. But the games that he really gets into is uh, NBA 2K. Uh, MLB, the show Madden, a little NHL. Um, I mean, he was, uh, he went through his Fortnite phase a few years ago and, but he's not really into the, the first person shooter games or anything like that. Um, he's got a couple of games that involve uh, cars that, uh, you do things like stunt, stunt driving and you have to something like that, but okay. Mine's Red Dead Redemption still. It's the only game I play. It's the only game I played for years, except when I decide that I want to see if I can still play my son in a sport based on my knowledge of the sport and strategy 
Whereas he knows all the buttons to hit and where to throw and when to, you know, um, although he's really advanced when it comes to Madden, getting into certain defenses and shifts and pinching and um, hot receivers and all kinds of stuff that I don't know how to do because I don't know the buttons. But I think that I'm going to get him because I know when to punt versus uh, go for it. And I uh, get my dick kicked in. The only way that I can challenge him is in NBA 2K. He takes a current NBA team. I get an all-time team, usually the Lakers, which has like Shaq as their third string center because uh, it has Kareem and Wilt Chamberlain and, uh, you know, Jerry West and Magic Johnson and you name it. It's got all, all everybody. And then James Worthy comes off the bench. Kobe is in the starting lineup. Um, then and only then do I have a shot. And I think I have a winning record in those scenarios. But other than that, no shot. I'll tell you what you do. If you find out that he didn't file the requisite transfer paperwork for all of his players, <laughs> you don't really have to beat him. You can just win by right. I go ahead and let him win, and then I get him on a technicality uh, two hours later. Yeah, put your journalistic uh, <laughs> investigative skills to work there. Uh, Jonah, we don't have to investigate too deeply about these Buffalo Sabres. Uh, on their face, they are pretty fun to watch. They're scoring goals and uh, winning uh, three times out of their four attempts. They play uh, at Vancouver tomorrow night at 10 p.m. Um, you're around these guys some, and uh, I know that you're not uh, – not to say that you're on the road uh, – uh, following these guys, but um, just give me your give me your quick and dirty take on, on the Sabers after four games. I mean, they look good. They're three and one, as you mentioned earlier on the podcast. They beat, or they, their only loss was to a good Florida Panthers team that won the Presidents Trophy last year. The three teams they've beaten, Ottawa didn't make the playoffs last year, but a lot of people expected them to be a a good team that could contend for a playoff spot this year. Calgary and Edmonton were playoff teams a year ago, so that look like they're going to be good teams with good records this season. So they're not fattening up against bottom of the standing teams. They're three and one with a plus seven goal differential. They're scoring goals and they're getting the best goaltending that they've had in many years. I know they had stretches with Carter Hutton in goal when they had the 10 game winning streak and they've had good goaltending. Craig Anderson was pretty good last year, but it seems like between the two goaltenders that they have, that this is the best goaltending situation. And that doesn't even include Uka Pekalukanen, who could be ready to make a breakout and further enhance the net situation if he, you know, if an injury arises and he gets called up from Rochester at some point this season. And I'll say this, the Sabres are so good and so exciting right now that Jack Eichel scored two goals in a game last night. And I don't think that hurt anybody's feelings. We're past the point where <laughs> Jack Eichel uh, having success out in Las Vegas does it. Uh, make Sabres fans sad and longing for uh, better days of the franchise. That's an excellent point. Um, I also want to mention that Florida game, that 4-3 loss uh, at Key Bank Center, that was the second game of the season, um, was still um, enlightening. And you got to see some things out of the Sabres that had to excite you if you're a fan, uh, the way that they stood up for themselves. Uh, they were scrappy. Um, they were in the game, uh, and Florida is one of the better teams in the league and just to not back down. And I think the attitude that they showed in that game, uh, kind of propelled them a little bit out on this West coast trip. 
into which, you know, what we saw at Edmonton and then uh, at last night at Calgary. Um, I'm impressed by the way these guys uh, stand up for each other. And, uh, you know, we'll see how long it lasts. Uh, generally, this type of thing is, is uh, indicative of, of what you're going to get. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't know what, what your, your thoughts are on that, Jonah, but they seem like a, a fiery bunch. Well, yeah, absolutely. They weren't going to let Matthew Kachuk bully them as much as he tried to. And they tried to fight him after the whistle and they were in his face. And even players like Alex Tuck that you don't really think are fighters and different forwards on the team that you wouldn't expect to be the enforcers. I don't know if the Sabres really have an enforcer type right now, maybe Ilya Labushkin. Um, so, yeah, they're not going to back down. They're not going to be intimidated by other teams that try to bully them on the ice. At least that's what we're seeing so far. They are getting out hit in a lot of these games. And I don't know if they're a team that's well constructed right now to win very physical hockey games against other physical teams, especially if maybe they get to the playoffs and in a playoff series and things like that. The power play is really struggling. Uh, they're two for 17, I believe. They have as many shorthanded goals. Or no, I'm sorry. They have one shorthand goal and two power play goals so far this season. But they're playing very well. They're a confident team. They're putting the puck in the net, and the goaltenders are stepping up and making their plays. Rasmus Dahlin looks like a superstar and everything seems to be progressing in the right direction. And, you know, unless they get hit hard by injuries and, and the course of the season changes, they really do look like a team that's headed for a playoff spot this year. They're at Vancouver on Saturday night and then at Seattle on Tuesday night. Then they come home for four games. It'll be interesting to see what this road trip does. Now, because they're playing in different time zones later in the night, um, I, I don't really know how much the fans are picking up on this. Hopefully when they come back and I, and I, say, I mean, I'm not concerned about the Pagula's business interests. Uh, and when, so when I say, hopefully, I mean, I really don't care one way or the other, but I, I'd rather see some energy. Uh, but when uh, you get some, you know, a vibe about the Sabres. The town's a lot more uh, interesting. It's, it's more uh, entertaining to be at the bar on game nights uh, to watch a game. And, um, you know, I, I know that uh, the, the attendance really dropped off from the home opener against Ottawa to that Florida game. But I wonder how these four games on the road while the Bills are on a bye. So they have pretty much everybody's attention uh, this week. So good timing from the Sabres on that standpoint uh, and what uh, what the crowds are going to be like when they come back. Montreal, of course, always has a good crowd because there are going to be a lot of Canadians fans in attendance. Chicago, I don't know if if Patrick Kane is much of a thing anymore in terms of Buffalo wanting to come out and see their hometown hero using finger quotes. Uh, I don't don't really know what, what Patrick Kane's reputation is in Buffalo anymore. He sees, I seem to see more people who roll their eyes at him and and don't like the guy more than they're proud of him. Except Um, in South Buffalo. I think he's still the favorite son of South Buffalo. Uh, Then Detroit and then Pittsburgh. So, you know, you have Sidney Crosby coming in. And so those are some, you know, three original six teams and the Pittsburgh Penguins. I would be disappointed if, uh, if the fans don't come out for some of those games. And teams that, especially Pittsburgh, will draw fans from, from Pittsburgh and from other areas that are coming to see the visiting team, which might not be exactly what uh, the Sabres organization wants to see, but it'll fill the building and, uh, enhance the atmosphere a little bit. I did notice that 
with the crowd at the opener, which was about 80%, it did seem like a lot of Sabres fans. It wasn't a, you know, split house in any way. It was a crowd that was rooting hard for the home team. The second home game had about 60% capacity, but that's against Florida, which is an opponent that's not going to draw. It's not a Canadian team. The Canadian fans being able to come over the border is going to make a big difference in attendance for a lot of these games. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see if the Sabres get hot enough and how many games turn into a hot ticket where maybe it is a sold out building and hard to get in. Uh, you had that twice last year with games where they honored Rick Jennerette. And even that Jack Eichel game had only about 12,000 people. It's a similar crowd to this Florida crowd in the second game. So while that was a big moment on the schedule last year, uh, you know, it didn't fill the whole building that angst to go see Jack Eichel. I don't remember you. Jennerette game did not sell out, did it? One of them did. And I believe two of them did. I think yeah, that okay. if they weren't, I do believe the one where they raised his banner to the rafters did sell out. And then the last game was the last game of the year. And I don't know if that one was a sellout, but it was a large crowd. And if we can, uh, you know, stall for time here, I'm going to look up the attendance and tell you exactly what it is very shortly. Well, the attendance for the Jack Eichel return was 12,437. And then who did they play? Nashville uh, for the Generette night? Uh, that was 19,070. That's a sellout. The last game was 16,005, so not a sellout. But it was a pretty full building. It felt – it wasn't a sellout, but it felt pretty close to it, especially compared to the small crowds. Because these are paid attendance figures also, and a lot of these crowds were home games earlier in the season where it says 8,000, 7,000, 9,000 there weren't that many people in the building. So 16,000 felt like a sellout, even if it wasn't, you know, every button, every seat. Well, an arena that won't sell out is UB stadium on Saturday, but maybe a good crowd because it is again, bills by week. And it is a uh, significant game in the mid American conference, Jonah, uh, UB against Toledo that's in Amherst, uh, the leader of one division versus the leader of the other division. Um, UB has won four straight and seems to have gotten its act together uh, after those early season woes, uh, most notably the Hail Mary loss to Holy Cross. Um, do you sense in watching the Bulls, Jonah, that they have figured things out or are they just on a run against beatable opponents? What's, uh, what's your take on how this team has evolved to this point here uh, right before Halloween? I think it's a little bit of both. I do think some of the teams that they've beaten by big numbers recently were more beatable opponents than the teams that they played earlier in the season. You know, two of the three losses were against Nebraska, and not Nebraska, Maryland and Coastal Carolina. And the third one against Holy Cross. Holy Cross is a top 10 FCS team and, and a very good team probably better than some of these Mac teams that UB has beaten. I'm not impressed by that. There should be a wide gulf or I shouldn't, all right, maybe not a wide gulf, but there should be space in between the worst division one, a program and the worst. And I know I'm using the old terminology or, and the best one double a team. Now I know that I mean, some of that be. blurs over time, but I mean, I recall when the great Youngstown state programs would go up against Kent uh, and measly, uh, whatever I'm trying to think. Kent was awful back then. So was Akron and they just get their doors knocked off. 
Yeah, I mean, but that's not how it is. I mean, Holy Cross is undefeated. Uh, not everybody they played. In fact, I think UB might be the only FPS team they played. No, but I say Youngstown State would be the national champion. Uh, you know, they'd win three out of four national championships, and then they'd play Kent State that went 0-11 the year before and lose by 30. Yeah, but I don't know if that's the case with this Holy Cross team. They won at Connecticut last year. They you know, Obviously, they beat UB. I think if they were to play 12 games against MAC teams, I think they'd have – you know, UB wouldn't be the only team that they beat. I think they'd have maybe six or seven wins if they played a 12-game max schedule or an eight-game max schedule. I think they'd be right in the mix to be competitive, maybe not win the league, but be competitive against most all of the teams in the MAC. Maybe not Toledo, who is probably the best team in the MAC, and the team UB has to play on Saturday, and a team that is favored by a touchdown at UB Stadium as well as UB has been playing. UB's defense has been playing excellent. They're the top scoring defense in the MAC and MAC games. They've only allowed one touchdown in each of the past two games. The defense is taking the ball away and, and scoring or setting up very short field touchdowns almost every week. Uh, so I think they figured some things out on defense where they're playing very well, which last year defense, especially pass defense, was the big problem and why they lost some games where they were in position to win in the third or fourth quarter. So they're finishing games a lot better. But it remains to be seen really how much improved they are and whether that's going to translate to beating another team in the MAC that's as good as any team that they're going to play in the MAC. This pop could be a preview of the MAC championship game. But if UB is not very competitive in this game, then I think we have some doubts about how well they have another big game coming up next week in Ohio. If they win this game, then the driver's seat and you can start picking out bowl destinations. But if not, um, even though they're probably still going to be bowl eligible, um, you start to once again wonder if they can win the Mac East if they don't look good tomorrow. If they lose by a field goal, maybe that's a more good moral defeat. But it'll be interesting to see what the crowd is and the atmosphere with no Bills game and good weather. And they're wearing these heritage helmets, I guess you could call them. I dig, the I dig logo. these helmets. I, I'm not a huge helmet or alternate jersey guy, and we didn't even bring it up about the Sabres. I mean, to me, I, I covered those goat head teams. I don't know. I don't just, I don't get off on it. But um, when I did see the UB helmets, I was like, all right, I dig it. Yeah, it's cool looking, and it's the first time they've ever worn something like this. What's that guy called? Do we know? Does he have a name? I mean, the mascot is Billy Buffalo right? Or is that the no, Bills. Billy Buffalo's the Bills. Victor E. Bull, but I don't know. Victor E. Bull, not, but I think that's a reason. This, this guy's from the 60s. And he's right? not a Bull. Or he's the a 70s. Buffalo. He's a Bison. Okay. So, yeah, I don't know if he has a name. Maybe I'll I want – well, well as the journalist in you, you need to get to the bottom of this. Yeah, I'll have to interview him and ask him what his name is and have him spell it for me for the television super. Um, I do – you mentioned the Sabres logos. I do think these blue and gold – white bison goat head uniform logos look pretty sharp. I think that is a well-designed logo. I never liked the Sabres wearing red and black. I didn't think it made a lot of sense. They looked like the Adelphia cable Sabres more than the Buffalo Sabres. They kind of were. They kind of were the Adelphia Sabres. There were no Sabres, no swords, no saber tooths in the logo. So it didn't really add up as much as the cross swords logo does. That said, I think the nostalgia of them wearing the red and black uniforms again for 12 games this year is going to be kind of cool, especially when they have 90s nights and they honor Ryan Miller in one of these games. But the blue and gold, white bison, goat head logo combination, I think looks really cool. It honors the, that era of the franchise. 
while also having the traditional color schemes. I think those are, I'm not a Jersey guy necessarily, but uh, I like how those look. And if I was forced to wear a Jersey, I might wear something that looked like that. So as I'm drinking from my uh, Bucky and Sully coffee mug, uh, I am reminded uh, that uh, Tim Graham and friends really is um, the evolution of a show that was created through the Buffalo news, just like the Bucky and Sully show, just like the BN blitz podcast that I don't think exists anymore. And I was having breakfast with uh, my former Buffalo news boss, Lisa Wilson yesterday. And she made the point and I hadn't even thought of it that our show, how long has this show been on? I've been at the athletic for four years this show was on terrestrial radio for two or three. Let's see. There was the Lakata era. There was the Rodak era. There was the Fairburn Bronstein era. Um, we if had uh, DJ Link was a producer before Bobby Rosati. We had Steve Trippy as a producer. We've been doing this for, I think, eight years. Does that sound right? Well, this is the way I remember it, that we started that show in the first year that Rex Ryan was the coach of the Buffalo Bills. But I can okay. really confirm this by looking up when the Nick Hillary trial was, because if you recall, I didn't start on the first few episodes of the radio show because I was there out there you go. covering that trial. And for some reason, I'm not able to find that. September well, 2000. While you're looking that up, what are your thoughts on maybe having a throwback Tim Graham and Friends logo? put together we can have or a faux back um maybe we could have you know mash together our um our high school our senior yearbook photos or something i mean what's what kind of throwback can we do and in also in honor of the buffalo news leaving the building on scott street it was a big deal if you were following anyone on social media who works for the Buffalo News. Uh, everybody was having tearful goodbye. Well, it should have been jubilant goodbyes to that fucking dump of a building. Uh, brutalist architecture on the outside and mold and whatever else on the inside. We used to have garbage cans stationed all over the place when it rained uh, to collect the rainwater coming through the roof. And we were on the third floor and there are five of them. So, yeah, I, I mean, I worked at the Niagara Gazette building, which was much worse, but I did feel like that was an old, uh, dusty building, dusty The duct work always just looked like it was full of hair and dust and lint. Yeah, I'm happy for our friends at the Buffalo News. I think they're going to like their new offices in a, a newer, more renovated floor of a building in a cool little area. Larkinville will be a nice place to go out and get lunch and hang out after work. Um, downtown's cool but there's a little it seems ironic because it is downtown but there's not a lot to do around the arena and where the old buffalo news building is i'm curious to see what the new developers do with that building and if it'll be uh it'll definitely be some sort of mixed use property but what those uses are what they turns out to be if it's something like uh the key big building that's now the seneca one tower and mnt is located in there but they have a lot of different businesses inside of Eight. that building oh i'm sorry ABC News reported on September 28th, 2016, that Nick Hillary was found not guilty. Right. Yeah. September 2000. We've been doing this for six years. Oh, this will be our seventh year. Then. Wait. 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. Seven to eight to nine to 10. Matt Beauvais is going to like these fingers I'm holding up. 
No, seven years. We just, we were, yeah, we're in our seventh year. We, we just hit our sixth birthday. We, we yes, we're in six, we're into our seventh year because we're at six years in a month. Seven year so, itch, you getting that yet? Huh? You getting the seven year itch yet? A little bit. Uh, <laughs> I've been uh, auditioning co host. Uh, the, uh, so this logo, we'll have to give that some thought. Maybe somebody listening, maybe we have a dedicated listener who uh, is uh, into graphic design and, uh, oh, done with Graham. That didn't last. Of course, that couldn't last because Tyler Dunn left the Buffalo News for Bleacher Report. But that video, remember that video thing they used to do in the middle of the newsroom? They set up a whole stage and they used to have Keith McShay do Uh, his prep Prep talk talk live and they'd bring in people and they'd have like, and we do, uh, I recall doing a draft show. Uh, with Jay Skursky there, uh, our free agency show. Um, it n- none of it ever stuck. It was it would last for a couple of months, and then they'd shrug and move on to the next thing. I think that was a one of the major failings. They they had zero uh, ambition to stick with something. They they had the ambition to come up with an idea, and they they'd uh, throw some money at it. And then if it didn't take, if it didn't explode right away, then it was over. So anyways. Well, I think the Buffalo news is proud that this podcast came out of their newsroom and has turned into the successful entity that it is. And I think that people that currently work at the Buffalo news are very proud of us and proud by extension that they were involved in the origins of TGAF. Yeah, I do too. I hear about it all the time. Uh, so anyways, yeah, it was two former Buffalo news employees got a chuckle out of it yesterday over breakfast and, uh, yeah, it worked. Um, Joan, anything you want to talk about that, uh, we didn't bring up yet. We've been doing this for a long time. Actually, we've been doing this for an hour and a half. I think we got into everything. We, we touched hour on and all 50, the hour and 15 we, minutes, I, I guess. Yeah. I think we got into all of the, the key talking points, we didn't spend too much time dwelling on the Bills bye week and what are we going to do with our lives this weekend without Bills football to obsess over. The Bills we'll talk about the Bills again next week. We have time. We can talk about other things. Right, and this is going to be a long Bills season. This Bills season is going to go deep into January and possibly February. Um, we don't have to you know, use all the bullets in our host on Bills takes right now during the bye week. But we also don't need to take vacations and ignore – local sports just because the bills aren't playing. There's a lot going on. That's why I think it's nice that the Sabres are as competitive as they are, because when they're not, when they're as bad as they had been in recent years, it's almost a drag and a chore to have to cover that team and pay attention to that team. So while I'm not necessarily rooting for them to win every game, I am rooting for my story and the fact that they're a competitive team and there's relevance. You know, I wrote, th- I wrote two stories and ran an AP game story that had a different angle on WIVB.com last night. And I don't think from two years ago from a road game out West that you would have gotten that many storylines out of a Sabres game. Yeah. And we're going to have a lot to talk about next week. Like you say, a lot of bullets still in the, in the holster. Sabres are going to be fun to talk about. We're going to have Matthew Fairburn on the show. Uh, Tried to get him on today, but he's traveling. Uh, We'll get Matthew Fairburn to talk some Sabres, uh, bring in some other guests. We're going to have Eric Wood uh, for an episode next week. So We'll get at you. Fun stuff. We got bandit season creeping up on us. College basketball season starts. Most of the local teams open November 7th. That's going to be 
here any day now. We got my favorite college basketball day of the year coming up when Damon plays at UB on October 30th before the UB game, before the Bills Sunday night game. That's going to be a triple header for me. I'm going to be covering two basketball games and then heading out to the stadium for the, uh, you know, the minor league football contest that's going to be occurring. Jonah, thanks for doing this. I'm sure we'll be seeing each other uh, at a bar stool near you. Not too busy. Thank too you. Much, too much sports to write. Thank you, everyone, for watching. Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants.